Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible. Not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to his son, Jesus the Christ. saints i hope this day finds you and your family well i ask that god keep you and that god bless you this day hallelujah we have reached episode number five in this epic and i mean epic series it's going to uh probably conclude within 36 weeks could be more could be less i don't know I just know it's a lot of scripture I have to share and I'm thinking about holding two episodes a week so that we can speed it up. But in any event, I'm quite sure those of you who are listening with an open mind and an open heart to receive the truth are being blessed. So with that said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. I come to you this day with thanksgiving first and foremost. I thank you for waking all of us up this morning. I thank you for clothing us in our right minds. I thank you for our health, Heavenly Father. I thank you for your continued deliverance. I thank you, Lord, for your unconditional love, for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, I ask that this day, you open the minds of those you chose to listen to this message so that they can understand. Open their hearts, Father, so that they can receive the truth. Lord, your word never goes forth without completing that which you have set it out to do. And for that, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen, saints. Hallelujah. Now, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I hope you had a chance to go on one of my podcasts and listen to the previously recorded four episodes so that you can catch up. If not, you can always do that. And our foundational scripture, I haven't been reading it for the past couple of episodes because those who are following this um, series on a regular basis already know we are searching the scriptures finding Jesus in the Old Testament, also known as the Hebrew scriptures. The foundational scripture is found in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. Jesus was talking to the unbelieving Pharisees and Sadducees who were getting on him about 
healing people on the Sabbath day. And Jesus is the Sabbath day. Therefore, he is greater than the Sabbath day. He is our rest and he is our peace. But Jesus told them to search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, but it is they who testify of me. So we are searching the scriptures and finding Jesus in the Old Testament because the New Testament scriptures had not been written at that time. So Jesus was referring to the Hebrew scriptures. Okay. So um, in any event, I'm sure you will be blessed. So we will continue in Genesis and finding Jesus in the life of Joseph. And eventually we will get to Moses and some of the other prophets and great men of old. So um, with that said, we're going, I ask that you go to Genesis chapter 41. And while you look at it, I will um, share with the, the new listeners that I am teaching from the NIV, the New International Version. However, I will be sharing some of the scriptures today using the New King James Version because I found as, as I was studying the New King James Version of the Bible um, had a better uh, interpretation of the scriptures, a more accurate interpretation of the scriptures than the NIV. And I will let you know when I switch. So until then, I am using the NIV. Okay. So beginning at verse 41, I will be reading chapter 41 verses 41 through 43. And I am reading. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Now, for those of you who haven't been following the uh, series, um, Pharaoh asked Joseph to interpret a couple of dreams that he had. And um, Joseph was able to interpret the dreams for Pharaoh. So Pharaoh is putting Joseph in charge of the whole, the entire land of Egypt. Now, let me continue. Then Pharaoh took his signet, his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, meaning Joseph was at the right hand of the king of Egypt. He was Pharaoh's right hand man. And I'm here to tell you, Pharaoh was a pagan worshiper. Pharaoh was a Greek. He was a Gentile. Okay. He was not a Hebrew. He was not a Jew. And let me continue. Um, let me pick up at verse 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and men shouted before him, make way. Thus he put his, thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt, the entire country Joseph was put in charge of. And y'all know the story of Joseph. I don't want to um, digress too much because we will talk about that as we move forward. But uh, Joseph came from a very lowly place. I tell you, he was sold into Egypt as a slave by his brothers. His brothers sold him into Egypt, into Egyptian slavery. Now, as early as the 12th chapter of Genesis, God had promised salvation to all the people of the earth. Now, when I say all the people, it means that 
salvation is made available to all the people of the earth because everyone is not going to be saved. And you can bet your last dollar on that because everyone is not going to accept Christ as savior. And as a result, they will perish. Okay. Now when God originally blessed Abraham and gave him the promises of a land, a people and his favor, God said this to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 verses one through three. Now to save time, I'm going to just read, but you guys can pause the tape until you find these scriptures or you can just write them down and read them later. And in Genesis chapter one, uh, no, I'm sorry. Genesis chapter 12 verses one through three. The Lord had said to Abraham or Abram before his name was changed to Abraham, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land. I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And God, like I said, is not talking about every entire person on the planet. Okay. And you got to remember Joseph, Joseph comes from the lineage of, of, um, Abraham, Joseph, if I'm not mistaken, is Abraham's grandson. Now, everyone is not and will not be blessed through the blessings of Abraham. Okay. And uh, as we move forward, I will continue to explain. Now, the promise of universal blessing through the, the uh, nation of Israel continues throughout the Old Testament. For instance, in Psalms chapter 46 and verse 10, the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And in Malachi chapter one, verse 11, Malachi says this, my name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations says the Lord Almighty. Now Malachi was a prophet who um, in this verse had been getting on the priest. They were crooked priests and God had sent Malachi to talk to them. You remember in the Old Testament, God used his prophets to speak to the people. The priests were bringing God um, unclean sacrifices, animals that were sick animals that were blind, animals that had diseases. And Malachi was telling them about, um, would you bring a king, you know, an unclean animal? So why would you do this to God? And um, so God was telling uh, the priest, the crooked priest, I might add, through the, through the prophet Malachi, that he was going to make his name great. Now, finding Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures, Malachi is in the Old Testament scriptures. Now, God is going to make his name great through his son, through the Messiah, through Jesus. Okay, these are some of the scriptures that Jesus was talking about. When Malachi said that my name will be great among the nations, he's talking about Jesus. From the rising to the setting of the sun, in every place, incense and pure, and pure offerings, that's why he's mentioning the offerings, which is Jesus will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, 
says the Lord Almighty. Now, Jesus came first to his own people, the Jews. Now, when he sent out the 12 disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse, verses 5 through 6, he sent them out in pairs to witness to his coming. He said this, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, Matthew 10, 5 and 6. Now, the mission had hit a snag, my sisters and brothers. It didn't bear much fruit because Jesus's own people had rejected him. In his final commission to his disciples, he gave them what we call today the Great Commission. That's in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to understand why the Jews rejected Jesus. I may talk a little bit uh, more about it as we go forward, but they didn't understand the scriptures. They didn't understand that the Messiah had to come twice. The first coming of the Messiah dealt with sin. He had to die for the sins of the world. The second coming of the Messiah, Jesus will be made king. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So when the Bible says that all of um, Israel will be saved, they are talking about the ones who finally accept him in his second coming because salvation will be made available to them then in the second coming of Christ, but not understanding these scriptures can cause you to fall. It caused the Jews to fall. Do you know that the Jews are still waiting on? Well, not all of them, because the Bible says the common people heard him gladly. It was the religious sector that did not accept Christ. No, they did not accept the, uh, the Christ, the Messiah, because they was expecting him to come and take over and make and put them back on top of the world. No, he had to die for the sins of the world first. Now, how can we tie all of, all of this into Joseph? Now, Joseph was rejected and sold into slavery by his own flesh and blood. He proves himself worthy as a slave in Potiphar's household, yet again is rejected and falsely accused in prison. And he was put in prison. Now, Joseph, excuse me, you guys, let me drink a little water. I'm, I'm empty. I'll go get some in a few when I take a break. Now, for those of you who are not aware, Joseph was lied on by Potiphar's wife. He worked for Potiphar, who worked for Pharaoh. Um, uh, Potiphar's wife tried to get Joseph to go to bed with her, and he refused. Now, and for those of you who don't know, Joseph was quite handsome. The Bible says that Joseph was a very handsome young man. And I believe Potiphar didn't put Joseph to death because he know his wife. Oh yeah, you know Potiphar know his wife. But um anyway, Joseph was lied on, you know. And 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 he was rejected and and falsely accused. He was put in prison and he yet again is found worthy of honor. Now finally, as God had orchestrated the whole sequence of events, Joseph appears before Pharaoh and reveals the secrets of Pharaoh's dreams. That's why Pharaoh made Joseph head of all of Egypt. Now it is well worth noting that Joseph takes no credit for his ability to interpret those dreams for Pharaoh. Now in chapter 41 verse 16, and I'm still talking about Genesis, when he was asked to interpret the dreams, you have to remember 
Joseph said this to Pharaoh, I can do, I cannot do it. Joseph had replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now, how like Jesus, who says in John chapter 12, verse 50, so whatever I say is just what the father has told me to say. Now, the writer to the Hebrews says of, about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. This is what he says. Our great high priest, such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Now that's in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26. Joseph was also being exalted. Now Jesus had been exalted above the heavens and seated at the right hand of God. Now you often hear me say that. Our apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 22. Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the and is at God's right hand with angels authorities and powers in submission to him. Now Joseph, who is a portrait of Jesus, is himself exalted among the Gentiles, the pagans of a country not his own. You have to remember the Egyptians were pagan worshipers and they were also black people. I don't care what you hear today, you need to do your history. Egyptians Egyptians were black. They had enslaved the Israelites. Joseph was sold into Egyptian slavery for 400 years. The Egyptians were enslaved by Pharaoh. It was time to set them free. Talk a little bit more about that. I don't want to um, get off of, of my set here and the order that I put it in. Now, remember, I said Joseph is a portrait of Jesus. When he was exalted among the Gentiles, the pagans of a country that was not his own. Now, Pharaoh said to Joseph in chapter 41, verse 40, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Only because Pharaoh was the king of Egypt that he was greater than Joseph. Now, in other words, Joseph is to be seated at Pharaoh's right hand like Jesus is seated at God's right hand. Now, God has taken Joseph, who was the lowest of the low amongst his brothers. He was his father's favorite. He was the outcast of the family. He was falsely accused and God, and, and God set him in an exalted place in Egypt. Okay, and it's a reason God did that. Now, another sense in which Joseph is a representative of the unborn Christ at the time, but Christ was there in spirit. Joseph prefigured Jesus, the second Adam. Okay. Now he is portrayed of you and me. That's right. We believers too ought to be exalted to the heavenlies as glorified children of God. Now, Joseph's triumph is the triumph of faith. Now, regardless of your circumstances on this earth, you need to keep your eyes on things above the glory that shall be ours. This is ours, not by anything that we have done. We look only to the blood of Jesus. Okay. Cause we can't save ourselves. We have to look to what Jesus did on the cross. And I'm gonna keep saying that throughout this episode. Okay. Now we're going to continue in Genesis chapter 41, but now I will be reading verses 56 and 57. 
When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries, I want you to hear this here, in and all the countries, this is uh, verse 57, and all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. Now, this was a catastrophe. In all the world, all the nations had to come to a black country to get food. Oh, but we are getting ready to tie this into Jesus. Do you hear me? Now, in Genesis chapter 41, verse 45, before uh, verse 56 and 57, Pharaoh had, had gave the exalted Joseph a new name. Now, Pharaoh gave Joseph the name uh, Zaphonath Paniah, which means God speaks and he lives. That is what the name that Pharaoh gave Joseph means. God speaks and he lives. All because Joseph was able to interpret uh, a dream of uh, several dreams that, that Pharaoh had Pharaoh looked at Joseph as a God, but Joseph made it clear. And I read that scripture a few seconds ago that no, what he wasn't interpreting that dream for him. God was, God was just using Joseph as a vehicle to speak to, to, uh, Pharaoh, because you got to remember Pharaoh was not worshiping the same God that Joseph was. Okay, Pharaoh worshipped a pagan god. Pharaoh was not a Jew. He was an Egyptian who were Gentiles. Okay, now likewise, Jesus was given a name when he was exalted. Now we read in Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 10. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, hallelujah, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth in the name of Jesus. Oh, my Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now in that same verse in Genesis chapter 41, Joseph was given a wife by Pharaoh. Pharaoh gave Joseph a daughter of Potiphar. Her name was Asenath. She was the daughter of Potiphera. I think his name was well, spelled P-O-T-I-P-H-E-R-A, Potiphera, who was a priest of An, O-N. Now, An was a place where the pagan worshipers went. They gathered to worship uh, what they called a sun god, like the uh, Muslims worship the moon god. Um, the Potiphera was a priest of the people who worshiped a sun god and the name of that center where they went was on okay now in matthew chapter 22 verse 2 jesus speaks of a wedding okay the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son now we both gentiles and jews who have been saved by the blood of jesus are the bride of christ and I'm quite sure some of you Christians who are listening have heard of that before. Now, in Revelations chapter 21, verse 2, it says this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, Christ is the bridegroom and we are his bride. We are a gift from the father to him. Okay, God gifted his son, Jesus, us as a gift. Okay, 
Now, finally, I think we should note in verse 46 of chapter 41 that Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the services of Pharaoh. In Luke chapter 3, verse 23, we are given facts about Jesus. And it says this. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Now, Joseph and Jesus began their most significant ministries at the same age, the age of 30. Now, Joseph, in his position as CEO or governor or whatever you want to call him, or president of Egypt, he immediately began to make preparations for the coming famine. God had made clear that there would be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. So Joseph built storehouses for the grain that would be brought forth in a good in the good years. Now, building up a a, a, a reserve for the famine years that was coming ahead, we see in chapter forty one verse fifty seven that all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. It wasn't just in Egypt. The famine was catastrophic in all the world. Now, even in Palestine, the needs were great, so great that Joseph's family also suffered. In verse 55, we read these words. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you to do. So Joseph held the keys to the storehouse of bread. Okay, let's tie this to Jesus. Now, Jesus said in John chapter six, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will, will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now we mere humans, we face a planet where a real famine exists. Most of us in America may have plenty to eat in the kitchen, may have food in the pantry, in the cabinet, but we have a deeper, a, a, a deeper spiritual hunger that will not be satisfied by any bread made by the hands of man. We have a hunger for the bread of life, Jesus. Now, just as the whole world came to Joseph in Egypt, we must come to Jesus to get the bread of life. Now, as Isaiah says, the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 55, verse 1, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. You know what that's representing? Jesus not only has full authority to distribute the bread of life, but just as Joseph, he had unlimited resources. Now, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And this was free. Now, weary, whether you are burdened, whether you are wearied, whether you are hungry, we come to Jesus just as we are. You don't need to fix yourself up to come to the Lord. Come to him just as you are. He is the savior of the world. You hear me? Of the entire world. He is willing and mighty to save today. Now, I want to ask you, is Jesus your savior? If you have been following this episode and a hunger for God has gripped your soul, I don't want you to delay because Salvation is not promised to you tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised to you. You can finish this, this episode today and step outside and drop dead 
and don't know Jesus. And if you don't know who Jesus is and have not accepted him as Lord and Savior and confess with your mouth that he is seated at God's right hand, meaning that God raised him from the dead, when he ascended on high, he set him at his right hand, you're going straight to hell. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Uh-huh. I hate saying that, but hey, I'm a minister of the gospel. My job is to tell the truth. Now the table is set and Jesus, like Joseph, before him, who handed out earthly food to the whole world, invites you to partake of the bread of life, the food that gives eternal life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I will be saying that throughout this little episode now. Genesis uh, chapters 42 through 45. Um, let's pull out chapter 43. And I will be reading verses 29 and 30. And I have uh, a tablet. I use electronic Bibles. I have two out in case I want to switch to the New King James. So um, verses 29 and 30 of Genesis 43 says this. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin. We're talking about Joseph. As Joseph looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And, and he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. He wept at the sight of his brothers. Now, they didn't recognize him, but he, he recognized them. Now, like the Israelites many centuries later, the Hebrews in Palestine were being driven from the land that God had given them. This time it was because of famine. Now later the cause would be the Chaldeans. Then ultimately the Romans in 70 AD. Now diaspora dispersion is the story of the Jew throughout the history. Now that story begins here in Genesis. Mm -hmm. Now someone had once asked me, to prove the uh, truthfulness of the Bible in two words. And the two words are the Jew. Okay. One of the miracles of the ages had been how the Jewish people have been preserved by God under the most severe persecution and sufferings this world has ever seen next to African-Americans being enslaved in America. The Jews suffered the worst. Now, nothing can account for the unparalleled suffering of these people, but the judgment and discipline of the Lord. I, yes, yes, it was the judgment and discipline of the Lord was the reason that the Jews had this unparalleled suffering. And there's a reason for that. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27, he says that it is a mystery. Okay. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Now, I, before I move forward, let me digress a little bit. He, he doesn't mean the entire Israel, every Jew will be saved because every Jew will not be saved. Okay, let me continue. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. 
Jacob's name was changed to Israel, remember? Um, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So although many Jews, including Paul, came to faith in Jesus in the early days of the church, the nation itself rejected Jesus as the promised Messiah. And they were being punished for that. Okay. Now that rejection was portrayed for us, you know, thousands of years earlier by the brother's rejection of their brother, Joseph. Okay. Finding Jesus in the old Testament scriptures is what we are talking about. Now, Joseph is a type of Christ. Okay. In Genesis chapters 42 through chapters 45, it tells the story of Joseph's dealings with his brothers. Y'all can write that down. Just read the entire chapters. They're not very long. Chapter 20, no chapter 42, all the way through chapters 45. Okay. Now, and it talks about, you know, Joseph's dealings with his brothers as they come in search of food. Now I want you to notice as you read these chapters that Joseph knew his brothers, but they did not recognize Joseph on the first. They didn't recognize him on the first trip to Egypt. Let me say that. Now, Jesus also not known by his brothers, the Jews at his first appearing. Now, Joseph then punished his siblings by requiring they leave Simeon as a hostage while they return to Palestine to bring Benjamin back. Now, I want you to notice that Joseph wept as they spoke to one another in chapter 42, verse 24. Now the brothers did recognize Joseph the second time they arrived in Egypt. Now, just as the Bible says that Israel will recognize Jesus when he comes again, they are greatly troubled at Joseph's presence. You know, they were in awe that what, what it was, they were in shock and they confessed their guilt to him. Now, in the same way, Israel will bow down before the great glory of Jesus as he comes to earth again. Joseph then began to weep aloud in chapter 45, verses one and two. Now, actually, we read of Joseph weeping seven times in the final chapters of, of Genesis. Um, if y'all want to read about that, I will provide the scriptures for you. Chapter 42, verse 24, chapter 43, verse 30, chapter 45, verses 1 and 2, and verse 15, chapter 46, verse 29, and the final chapter 50, verse 1, and chapter 50, verses 15 through 17. You can read about Joseph weeping. Now, he was a man of compassion for his Israelite brothers. Yes, Joseph was full of compassion. Now, in the same way, Jesus was a man full of compa compassion for Israel. Now, as Jesus entered the holy city on his way to his destiny on the cross, um, in the gospel according to Luke, uh, I think it's chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. Let me find that. You guys can look while I look because... I'm pulling this up. I may have, I may read this one, um, from the new King James. So we can look together. It is the gospel according to Luke chapter 19. Mm-hmm. Verses 41 through 44. Yes. So, uh, let me begin reading and I'm reading from the new King James saints. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, that he is Jesus. 
and verse 42, if you had known, even you, especially in this, in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Verse 43, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment around you, surround you and close you in on every side. Verse 44, and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. My Lord, my Lord. Now let me read this from the uh, NIV so that you can understand um, why I switched. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, if you, even you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and, and the children within your walls, the New King James doesn't mention uh, the children within your walls. It says, and your children within you. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And the New King James says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Your visitation was Jesus coming in the flesh. God coming in the flesh of his son. Now earlier Jesus wept over the grave of his, his friend Lazarus, but Jesus was to show his greatest compassion at Calvary where he died for the sins of the whole world of people everywhere of all ethnicities of all skin colors and all national origins of all nations, the just and the unjust. And I ask you again, do you recognize Jesus? Just like Joseph brothers didn't recognize him, the position he was in. Did, do you recognize Jesus today? Do you know who he is? Hallelujah. Do you know who the savior is? Because if you don't, let me tell you something. Tomorrow is not promised to you. Salvation is today. You need to accept him today. You don't know when your life will end. When I suffered from a stroke in March of this year, let me tell you this. I never shared this before. If God had decided that he wanted me to be with him that day, I was ready. I know who Jesus is. And that soft voice spoke to me and said, you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. You can share this in your ministry that I am still a healer. I stand before you today. I am no longer paralyzed. I can speak. I can still preach and teach the gospel. Never lost not one word of my memory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, he is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. All right. Genesis chapter 45. Go there. Genesis chapter 45. I will be reading verses four through eight, beginning at verse four. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Uh, verse five. And now, and I am reading from the NIV again. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives 
that God sent me ahead of you. Y'all keep your finger on verse five here. He said, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Verse six, one of the reasons I don't like to call out the, uh, the name, the numbers to the verses is because it slows us down. So that's why I just read through. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. It doesn't matter the avenue in which God gets you to where he wants you to go. If God is bringing you there, trust me, you are there for a reason. Okay, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made my father, uh, he made me father to Pharaoh. Now, it doesn't mean that he's Pharaoh's father. It means that he is a great leader in, in Pharaoh's, uh, let's say, cabinet. Okay. Um, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Pharaoh was laid back. He had someone he could trust. He had someone that knew God, the true and living God. Why Pharaoh didn't accept the true and living God is beyond me. Uh, because re religion can't save. And you best believe Pharaoh bust tail wide open when he passed away, but Joseph didn't. And let me tell you this, you can have a true man of God, a true woman of God in the midst of pagans. And do you know nothing will happen to them because that person that belongs to the true and living God is amongst them, is in their midst? Do you know that? There can be a plane getting ready to crash, but if uh, a man of God of the true and living God, a woman of God of the true and living God is on that plane. That plane will not crash that day. Oh no, that plane will not crash that day. But I want you to understand and see Jesus in this because remember what Joseph said. He said, it was not you who sent me here, but God, he made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. God is setting the ground to where he is going to save his people. Okay. The Israelites who were, who had been enslaved by Pharaoh for 400 years. Remember he sent Moses to, to deliver them. Joseph won't be their deliverer, but Joseph laid the groundwork. Okay. Now Joseph's brothers came before him twice. Now both times they wanted to pay for the grain they received in their sacks. Both times as they were sent back to their father, Israel, you got to remember, um, Joseph's father is Israel is Jacob. That's who, um, Joseph came from. He came from Jacob. Now, both times as they were sent back to their father, Israel, they discovered that their money had been returned to them. See the food that they were receiving from their brother, uh, Joseph was free. Even though they tried to pay for it, Joseph gave them their money back. Now, in the same way, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter nine, verse 30 and 32, what then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but Israel who pursued a law of righteousness has not attained it. You can't attain salvation by working the law or your works. Okay. This is clear. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. That stumbling stone is Jesus. Israel was trying to get to God and obtain salvation uh, by becoming righteousness in the eyes of God 
by following the laws that were given to Moses or by doing good works. And anger happen, Captain. Anger happen. You cannot give your way into heaven. Mm -mm. The stumbling block, like I said, that stumbling stone is Jesus, who is the chief cornerstone. Now, the unbelieving Jews, like most men and women today, they stumble over the free gift of God's grace that is in Jesus Christ, saints. They want to work for their salvation. But God says we cannot pay anything. We can't pay. Christ paid it all. He paid it all on the cross. Thank God, because I wouldn't have been able to do it. Now, salvation is by God's grace alone. As Joseph portrayed in giving his brothers their money back, that was grace. But greater grace was given uh, by the sons of Israel in the land of Egypt. Okay, they came before Joseph and the silver cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Joseph had put their money and gave it back to them. He, he gave it back to them by putting it in Benjamin's sack. Okay, they trembled with fear as they stood before the ruler of all Egypt, one of the most powerful men in the world. Okay, Joseph suggested that they leave Benjamin with him to become his slave. Now, Judah stood up and offered to remain in his younger brother's place. Now, therefore, suggesting the principle of substitutionary atonement. Okay. Now we then read that Joseph could not control himself any longer. Now in Genesis 45 verses one through three, it says this, he cried, he cried out, Joseph, I'm talking about, he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. He had all of his servants leave and his brothers remain. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Now, when he said, is my father still living? He, what he meant is, was his father well? Was his father, you know, sick? That's how they talked back then. That's why the scriptures have to be rightly divided so you can understand what they are saying. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They were in awe. That's all. They, they, they were just they were shocked. I mean, I would have been too. They didn't, they brother ended up being the, 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 the president, the CEO, the governor of Egypt. Then comes Joseph's most astonishing statement. Okay. He releases them from any guilt in the matter of selling him into slavery. Joseph didn't hold that against them. He then later explained to them in chapters 50 verse 20, Joseph said this, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. Joseph preserved all of that food because he knew ahead of time that a famine was coming for seven years. And if it wasn't for Joseph preserving enough food to, to feed the entire world, you know how many people would have been dead? Everybody but Egypt. Everybody but Egypt. Joseph said, you meant it for, for, to harm me, but God meant it for my good. He meant it so that Joseph could save a lot of people. You see, see how this is tying into Jesus? Okay. How often do we hear ignorant people rail against those who sent Jesus to the cross? Now, surely it was the greatest crime I think that was ever committed in the history of this world. But it was also the greatest display of grace. The greatest display of God's grace that has ever occurred. 
Now, what those who, who accuse the Jews and the Roman authorities fail to understand is that you, me, and the people that, that nailed Jesus to the cross, we sent him to the cross. That's right. We sent Jesus to the cross. Now, if you too are saved by his blood, then you too are guilty of nailing him to the cross. All who were there on that awful day intended to harm Jesus, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done today, the saving of many lives. Now you can read that in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 and go to John three sixteen. Hallelujah. You meant it to harm people, but God meant it for our good. If it wasn't for Christ dying on that cross, none of us would be saved today. Hallelujah. Our sins will not be forgiven. Now to provide mercy for his brothers, Joseph could just release them. He could have, he could have just let them go, but he goes beyond that mercy and he provides them with what they really need. He provided them with grace. He makes full provisions for their, for their future. He didn't just look out for them at, you know, during that famine, they had about five years left of the famine. He looked out for their future. He gave them a land called Goshen. Yeah, where they can live without fear of starving to death over the next five years of famine. Because they had been in, in the famine years, of two of them so far. And it was supposed to be seven years of famine. They had already been in, in the famine for two years. Now, likewise, Jesus gives the kingdom of heaven to those who recognize him and come to him in a childlike faith. Ours is the God who turns evil into good. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus coming from the, the tribe of Judah. Uh-huh. Go to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. And I will be reading verses 8 through 12. Pause the tape. When you find it, come back. I'll be here. Now, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs. And the obedience of the nations is his. Now, um, the King James or New King James says until Shiloh comes. Now, what I like about the NOV is the NOV gives you the definition of what Shiloh means. It means un, uh, until he comes to whom it belongs. Shiloh means to whom it belongs. And the obedience of the nations is his. Now, he will tether his donkey to a vine his coat to the, cho the uh, choicest branched. branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth, teeth whiter than milk. Now that was verse 12, his teeth whiter than milk. Now at the end of the book of Genesis, Israel and his sons and their families have all come into Egypt and settled in Goshen, the land that their brother Joseph gave them. Now, nearing death, Jacob, who, who is now Israel, 
gathered his, his boys together and gave each his blessing. Now the first three of his sons, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, we can only read about them in the first seven verses of chapter 49. You know, it talks about them and their blessings. You know, they are more like curses to me. Now, Reuben had sinned against Jacob in sleeping with his wife, Bilhah. And the other two by their extreme vengeance at Shechem. Now, Judah had sinned in his tryst with Tamar. And I can tell you, he probably expected the worst from Joseph. Instead, Israel's blessing was one of triumph for Judah and his descendants. Now, first, Israel declared that Judah's brothers will bow down to him. Wasn't this Joseph's dreams? Mm -hmm. Wasn't that in, in one of Joseph's dreams that he told his brothers about? And, but now the preeminence is transferred to Judah's, Judah's tribe. Because remember, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Israel. Okay. Now, interestingly, the next leader, and I'm trying to multitask here, I'll tell you. The, the next leader of the nation, Israel, is Moses, who is a descendant of Levi. Now, later, the first king of Israel is Saul. Y'all remember Saul? We read in First and Second Samuel. And Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. But then the greatest king of Israel takes the throne. King David and his descendants formed the kingly line in Judah following the division of Israel. Yeah, Judah broke off from Israel. That's how we got them two tribes, uh, Israel and Judah. And Ju Jesus come from the line of Judah, not the line of Israel. Now, from that kingly line, two individuals would ultimately appear upon the scene. A man named Joseph and a woman named Mary. They came from the tribe of Judah, which is why the Messiah came from the tribe of Judah. Now, of course, it was Jesus. Now, I want you to read uh, Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter three, if you want to read about uh, Mary and Joseph and how they met and, and, and Jesus and how they were associated with the tribe of Judah. Now, Jesus was to be born in the town of Bethlehem. As we will see, Later on in this series, we haven't gotten there yet. And, um, you know, I, we will read uh, about Bethlehem in Micah chapter five, verse two. Now, Bethlehem is in Judah's portion of the promised land of Israel. Jesus, who was to be born there, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. You can read that clearly in Revelation chapter five, verse five. Now, in the next phrases of, of Israel's prophetic blessing come these words. Remember, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Or like the NIV says, until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. Now, later after David had assumed the throne of Israel, the word of the Lord came to him, came to David, David. And it says this. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, that's when David passes away. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Now, I'm, I'm reading 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 through 14. Now, I want you to listen carefully because when the prophet Samuel was speaking to Joseph, I mean speaking to uh, King David, he was talking about 
King David's son, Solomon, and then he was talking about the Messiah. He doesn't say their names. That's why we have to rightly divide these scriptures to you. This is who they were talking about. Let me, uh, so this is second Samuel chapter seven, verses 12 through 14. Let me start over when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, which this is Solomon here, who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is, he is the one who will build a house for my name. Now, if you can remember, if you ever read uh, first and second Samuel, God would not allow King David to build his house because David had a lot of blood shed on his hands. Okay. He, although he loved God and was a man after God's heart, David killed a lot of people in war and David did a lot of things that were not pleasing in the sight of God. So God told David in second Samuel through, through uh, the prophet Samuel that he was going to allow his son to build his house. That son was King Solomon. Okay. Now, and, uh, he's, the Bible says in, um, uh, 13, verse 13, he is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now I will be his father and he will be my son. Now right here, when it says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, we're talking about the Messiah. Okay, because he's coming from the line of Judah. He's coming from the lineage of David because Mary and her earthly husband, Joseph, came from the lineage of Judah. Okay, um, I will be his father and he will be my son. We, that's, he's talking about Jesus, the son of God right here. Finding Jesus in the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. Okay, now if you guys want to read about that, I know I said it before, but let me reiterate, reiterate um, 2 Samuel Chapter seven, verse 12 and 14. Now, David's son, like I said, was Solomon. He would build the physical temple in Jerusalem. But the word from God to David clearly spoke of a coming of the Messiah. And let me correct myself while, while it just hit me. It was God speaking directly to David at that time. It was not Samuel. Even though Samuel had mentioned those things to David, I had uh, read the entire book of first Samuel and second Samuel. It's on my podcast. And if you guys want to go through it and find it, uh, first and second Samuel, I read the entire books. Uh, I think it was maybe 10 or 12 episodes, but it blessed a lot of people who didn't know how um, Saul became the first king of Israel, you know, and then David was the second king and his son Solomon was the third king. I plan on doing a series on all the kings of Israel, um, maybe sometime next year. But uh, until then, I got a lot of other things to do. Now, uh, like I said, David's son Solomon was to build the physical temple of Jerusalem. But the word from God to David clearly spoke of a coming Messiah, Jesus, the son of God. Now, who would build the true temple of God, his church, which is also known as the body of Christ. Now, the obedience of the nations will be his and he will reign forever. He will rule not only Israel, but the entire universe of men. That's Jesus. You hear me? So following these different religions and different denominations is not helping you. You better look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is both the son of God and the son of man. Now, although seen only by the eye of faith, 
Jesus is reigning now from his throne and will reign forever. And the prophet Isaiah says that in Isaiah chapter nine, verse seven, how the Messiah will reign forever. Okay. Now Jacob's final words in his blessing of Judah concern the abundance of, of prosperity in the coming reign of this king, this permanent king. Now, normally one washes his or her clothing in water, but this coming one will wash his in the blood of grapes. Now, this reminds us of the first miracle that Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee, changing water into wine. We all know that Jesus changing the, you know, water into wine when they ran out of wine. Now, grapes also speak of his death on the cross and the symbol of wine that Jesus used to speak of his blood and shed there. Okay. Now three direct prophecies of Jesus exist in Genesis. And I'm talking about three direct prophecies of Jesus. Genesis chapter three, verse 15 speaks of his defeat of Satan. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18 tells us of the blessing of Abraham flowing out to all the people of the world. And finally, Israel speaks of the one from the tribe of Judah who will rule the whole world and rule it forever. We're talking about the Messiah. Saints, I hope this episode blessed you. Um, episode six, I will begin studying for it later today and we will um, proceed next Saturday or either Sunday. I'm going to try to find a way to... Uh, complete two episodes a week. I have to find a way to do that because I am busy during the week and um, free on weekends, but I'll make a way to share God's word. Uh, I'll pray about it. Ask God to give me the strength. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because my brother in Christ, Fred Price Jr., he does uh, one, two, three episodes a week, you know, <laughs> two on Tuesday and, and, um, he teach on Sundays during the Sunday service. So if he can do it, I can do it. But I'll see. But I hope you are being blessed. If you don't know the risen Savior, you need to find him today. Tomorrow is not promised to you, saints. I will keep saying that because you need to understand that there is no back door to get to God. You must go through Jesus. There is no back door. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but I am come that they may have life and have, have it more abundantly. So saints go to Romans chapter nine, read verse 10, verse nine. No, I'm sorry. Go to Romans chapter 10 and read verses nine and 10 so that you can make that confession and believe and receive in your heart and then become born again. And if you want that to be totally explained to you, you can add in verse 11. So go to Romans chapter 10 verses 9, 10 and 11. 11 explains to you the meaning of verse 9 and verse 10. So with that said, saints, until next time, peace out. were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode, please send your questions or comments to 
talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message through my podcast by clicking on the message button located on the homepage of all my podcasts. Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public to submit your remarks. I should note that you must be a follower of my show to submit a voice message. So don't forget to click the follow button. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing the homepage on my podcast and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated and used to help further the gospel. I am praying for God to give you a return on your donation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. English Standard Version. Please sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart because God loves a cheerful giver. Now until next time, my sisters and brothers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. And remember, continue to walk with Jesus. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible. Not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to his son, Jesus the Christ. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible. Not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, 
take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to his son, Jesus the Christ. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible. Not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to his son, Jesus the Christ. Hello everyone, welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamla D. Forgive me, I'm trying to get situated as I speak to you guys. Um, um, welcome back, welcome back. We have been through... <laughs> Uh, literally uh, a storm, uh, Hurricane Ida hit the uh, Louisiana East Coast. I am happy to say, proud to say, to God be all the glory, I'm okay. My family is okay. My friends are okay. I've, I have some friends who sustained some damage to their homes, but it, nothing that can't be repaired. And um, they are physically okay. Uh, praise God. To God be the glory. It was a category four. I have been through approximately eight hurricanes and this was by far the worst, but I never doubted that I would be okay. I have insurance. So if I had lost anything, it can be replaced. I'm not, you know, um, addicted to anything that I have. I don't worship things. And, um, fortunately, God spared my family and my friends, and, and we are truly grateful. I know I am. To God be the glory. Now, we, just like I promised, are entering episode six of this 36, maybe 46-week series entitled Search the Scriptures. In them, they will lead you to Jesus. Now, the foundational scripture, which I will not read, is found in John chapter 5, verse um, 39 and 40. You can read that later if you want, but we are moving out of Genesis in the past four or previous episodes. We covered Jesus in Genesis. So now we are moving over to the book of Exodus. And I promise you this 
episode, episode six, will be lingering in your mind for a long time. We are going even more in depth where you will clearly see Jesus as God in the book of Exodus. So I will continue to read from the New International Version, NIV. If I choose to um, switch versions of the Bible, I'll let you know. So with that said, let's get this truth on the road. Go to Exodus chapter 1. We are going to read verse 22 and then move to chapter 2 and I will read verse 3. Okay. So Exodus chapter 1 verse 22 I am reading. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile but let every girl live. Now you can go on over to chapter 2 verse 3. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, meaning he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket. Now a papyrus basket, in your version it may have what it actually is, but in the NIV let me explain. It was material made like thick paper. That's what they used back in the ancient days. Um, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Now y'all should know who we are getting ready to talk about. Now remember, I said this before, let me say it again. We now are leaving the book of Genesis and we have moved over to the book of Exodus, okay? Now the Israelites have been or had been in Egypt for over 400 years. They had been reduced to slavery, just as God had earlier told Abraham in Genesis 15, 13, and 14. Now I may be referring to some scriptures that we read in Genesis, which is okay, like this one, um, and I think it bears reading again. Genesis 15, 13, and 14, this is God talking to Abraham about his descendants being in a foreign country and will be enslaved. But listen, let me read this quote, and this is from the NIV again. Now for certain that your descendants, this is God talking to Abraham, will be strangers in a country not their own, or your version may say, may be foreigners in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But listen to this, verse 14. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Now that great possessions is reparation. Now, um, the United States not paying reparation to people of color is going to be the downfall of America. America's sin is slavery. And they have not repented of that sin. They have not paid people of color reparation. Now, I have a series coming up after this 36-46-week series. And I will show you, even though the United States was not in the biblical days, I will show you 
the United States and what the Bible says about the United States today. And the United States, I don't want to scare anybody, but the truth is the truth. The Bible hasn't failed yet. The United States is going to fall and it's going to fall hard. Okay, now enough of that. Now I want you to remember, Pharaoh, he worried that the Israel Israelite slaves would become too many. And he thought that they would overwhelm his kingdom because according to Exodus chapter one, verse seven, the Israelites were fruitful and they were multiplying greatly every day so that the land was filled with a lot of Israelites. So Pharaoh therefore undertook a deliberate massacre. Yes, he did. He was a monster and he aimed at reducing their number, the number of the Israelites. Now, it was the first in a line of many campaigns the Jews had suffered throughout history, and they continue to suffer. Now, Pharaoh ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill any male children, but allowed the girls to live. Now, that didn't work. So he then ordered that all male children be thrown into the Nile River to drown. Now, Moses was a child that was one of them who was ordered to be thrown into the Nile. He was ordered to be murdered. Now, later, we will see Moses as a type of Christ in other respects. But here we see him portraying the baby Jesus, even in his infancy. Now, in order to save Moses, his parents constructed a little ark. It was a boat of reeds and tar and launched him onto the Nile. Now, this little boat is also a picture of the Lord Jesus. You know, uh, remember I talked about the ark being a covering, a, a, a protection for uh, God's people. And it was also a uh, deliverance. And that was in chapter seven of Genesis. Now, when Jesus was born, a king, not Pharaoh reigned, but his worries were similar, just like Pharaoh's. Herod was his name. Now, Herod learned from a group of wise men from the east that a new king had been born in Judea. Now, Herod worried about a usurper to his throne. Now, I chose to use that word to sum it up. But for those of you who don't know what a usurper is, it's uh, um, someone uh, or a uh, sect overthrowing, Ill illegally overthrowing the kingdom or the throne of a king. Okay. Now, after Herod learned from his chief priests and teachers of the law that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem because the teachers of the law knew about the coming of the Messiah, the baby Jesus. Now, Herod said to his wise men, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I, too, may go and worship him. Now, that's in Matthew 2 and 8. Now, you know, Herod was lying. Now, so... After the wise men were warned not to return to Herod and the despot realized he had been outwitted, he began to slaughter all the male children, two years old and younger, around Bethlehem. He was trying to get to the baby Jesus. Now, the prophet Jeremiah had foreseen this event back in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. And it's also quoted in Matthew 2, 18. Matthew 2.18 says this, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. 
Now Joseph was forewarned by an angel of the Lord to flee to Egypt with Mary and the child. Now he said in Matthew 2.13, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. It's amazing how Egypt was a place of refuge <laughs> and Egypt, the Egyptians were black people. Okay. Uh, let me continue in verse 13, chapter two of Matthew. Stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Isn't it something how God knows how to protect his own? Okay. Now they stayed there until Herod died and an angel told them it was safe to return. So Joseph and Mary settled in Nazareth in the district of Galilee. Now Moses would grow up to be the most revered leader of the nation of Israel. Even today, if, if a Jew is asked who was the greatest of his people, chances are that they will say Moses. Now the author of Hebrews in the New Testament says this about Moses in Hebrews chapter three, verses four through six. He says this. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Now, this scripture is confirming that Jesus is greater than Moses. That's what that scripture is, is, is referring to. Now, I want you to go to Exodus chapter 3, and we are going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to um, read the verses 13 and 14. Okay, now this Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Harab, or Harab, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now you guys get ready. Just brace yourselves. Oh my God, we are about to receive some revelation here. Let me continue. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. It's holy ground because God was there. Okay. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is the name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, my Lord, my Lord. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now we saw a theophany right here. Now back in chapter nine, where God appeared as a smoking fire pot and a burning torch, 
Here, God comes face to face with Moses, speaking to the frightened Israelite from a burning bush that is not consumed. Moses asked God his name. God answers, I am who I am, or I am that I am, depending on which version of the Bible you have. Now, the words I am here, the acronyms for Jehovah is YHWH. Now, in the original Hebrew language in which most of the Old Testament is written, we would say this word Yahweh. Now, in a very guttural way, like Yahweh. Now, or more likely Jehovah. Okay. Jews might render Yahweh as Adonai because they have been forbidden to voice the original pronunciation since about the third century BC. Now, what does this I am mean now? And, and, and let me say, and how does it link to Jesus? Now, God is saying that he is the preexistent creator of the universe. That is what he is saying with no beginning and no end. Now, in order to see how the name links to Jesus, let's turn our attention to a conversation Jesus had with the Pharisees and teachers of the law that centered on Abraham. Okay, I want you to go to John chapter eight, and I'm going to read verses 51 through 59. You can pause the tape before the sake of time. I'm going to resume. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed. Now we know that you are a demon possessed, that you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. So what, the, what they are saying is that Abraham died and so did all the prophets. So who are you not to die? This is what they are saying. So Jesus said this. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, you are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you say you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Did you hear the answer that Jesus gave? Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus was saying he was the creator of the heavens and the earth. That same spirit, that same fire that talked to Moses from the burning bush was Jesus. This is why the scriptures need to be rightly divided. Okay. Jesus was definitely God in the flesh. He was talking to Moses from that burning bush. Jesus said before Abraham was born, I am. My Lord. Oh, I get excited. I get excited, especially when you know you have revelation of the scriptures. Now, let me finish. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away. Now, let me, I wasn't going to add this to um, this episode, but it, it fits right here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I want you to pay attention to Jesus hid himself and slipped away. With, they could not touch Jesus until he was ready to go to Calvary. This is not the only scripture in the New Testament where they tried to get Jesus, tried to pick up stones to stone him, but they couldn't. He just disappeared in their midst. Only God can do that. Jesus was not a magician. Trust me. Okay. Now the I am Jesus uses here was literally Jehovah or Yahweh. 
Now, Jesus is making a direct claim upon eternal preexistence, the claim to be God. Now, notice that the Jews immediately took up stones to stone him, which was the method of execution prescribed for blasphemy in Israel. Now, there's no question in their minds that Jesus was using the divine name. Jesus claimed to be the great I am of the burning bush. Now, we could go on for, for decades about this. Instead, let's look at some other I am statements of our Lord. And emphasis is always on mine now. I'm the one placing the emphasis. But let's look at some other I am's that Jesus said. John 6, 35. Then Jesus claimed, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. John 8, 12. You can write all this down because I'm about to zoom through here. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 7. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. John 10 and 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. John 14, 6, which is my all time favorite scripture. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. John 15, one, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the garden. Now, some have falsely stated that Jesus never really claimed to be God. <laughs> That's because they don't know these scriptures. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Pharisees and teachers of the law knew precisely what he was claiming to be or who Jesus was claiming to be. Now, go to Exodus chapter five. We're going to uh, review Jesus in Exodus chapters five through chapter 11. Okay. Um, now let's look at Exodus chapter five, verses one and two. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went, went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And a lot of people don't know the Lord. We have a lot of Pharaohs running around faking like they're Christians. But as soon as destruction happens, you will find out who Christians are not. Because if you don't have faith, see, real Christians don't panic when something happens. I had to drink some water. Uh-uh. Real Christians do not panic, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't panic. Now, that's a whole nother story, but it fits right here. I'm, I'm, I may read that just before the end of this series. Now, the fallen angel Satan appears in the Holy Scriptures in the Garden of Eden with the first couple, Adam and Eve. Now, like Jesus, pictures of Satan regularly occurs in the Bible. Nimrod. In Genesis 10, chapter 8, is one of uh, Satan's people. Now, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is another. Now, Egypt is a picture of the world system. And just as Pharaoh is ruler of Egypt, Satan is the ruler of this world system. You can read 2 Corinthians 4, 4, for instance. Now, he is the God with a little g of this world 
in these verses. Satan is not the God of all the ages. He is the God of this world. Okay. He's not the creator of this world. That's why this world sees so much destruction because Satan is in charge, but God has an ark around his people. That's why we are still standing when the smoke clears. Now Moses and Aaron have been commissioned by God who we've just seen is Jesus in the burning bush. We're talking about finding Jesus in the Old Testament, in the scriptures. Didn't Jesus say, search the scriptures? In them you think you have eternal life, but it is them, them what? The scriptures who testify of me. Now, we've just seen Jesus in the burning bush to present themselves to Pharaoh and tell him to let Israelites leave Egypt. Jesus was telling Moses to go and tell Pharaoh to let his people leave Egypt. Okay. Now God says of Pharaoh in Exodus chapter nine, verse 16, God says this, I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now it is the same with Satan. God allows him to Rome because it serves God's purpose in his self revelation. Now the book of revelation in the new Testament speaks of our Lord conquering Satan by throwing him into the lake of, of fire and brimstone. That's in revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And a lot of people going to follow Satan right there in the lake of fire and brimstone. Those are who are outside of Christ. Now it is interesting that God also throws Pharaoh into a lake to die as well. The red sea. In fact, many similarities exist between these chapters in Exodus and Revelation. Now, as you may recall, the 11 plagues that God brings upon Pharaoh and his people in Exodus are the plagues of snakes, water into blood, frogs. I'll be hauling tail because I'm scared of frogs. Gnats, flies, you know, against livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally the depths of Egypt's firstborn. Now, similarly, in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, to be exact, they appear again like Moses and Aaron. Two witnesses are, pro are promised who will have the power to work miracles in God's name. That's in Revelation chapter 11, verses three through six. The beast is also able to work signs and wonders. Uh-huh. That's how Satan can fool a lot of y'all because he's able to work signs and wonders, too. And once again, water is turned into blood in chapters eight, verse eight and chapter 16, verses four through five. Now frogs conjured up by the satanic forces re reappear in chapter 16, verse 13. Another plague of locusts appears in chapter nine, verses two and 11. Balls, boils from God afflict those who oppose him in chapter 16, verse two. Now, hailstones hit the earth once again in chapter eight, verse seven. Now, a terrible darkness shall descend upon the earth during those days, chapter 16, verse 10. The wicked will harden their hearts like they are doing right now. They are hardening their hearts against the true and living God, just like Pharaoh did in chapter nine, verse 20 and 21. Death will reign on the earth, chapter nine, verse 15. It is in, I don't think it's a coincidence that John's vision is so much like the history of Israel's journey. 
I just don't think it is. It's not a coincidence. Like the Israelites who were delivered from Pharaoh's clutches in Exodus, all of God's saints will be delivered from the clutches of Satan. All of God's saints. You know, I often tell people, everyone is not a child of God. Now, everyone may be the creation of God, but everyone doesn't belong to God. We, you have to go through the adoption agency of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, like Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, Paul says this. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. Now, the church, of course, is the true Israel, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, in 1 John 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, some people are eager to attribute Satan with too much power. Now, many believe that he's a match for God. There ain't no match. Ain't no, that, Satan ain't no match for God. But the Bible is clear that God controls Satan's every move and uses him for his own purposes. As we've said uh, uh, before that I said previously, nowhere in scripture is this more clearly, clearly seen than in the book of Job. In chapters one and two of that book, we have a conversation that took place between God and Satan. And a lot of people can read this and still say that God made Job suffer. No, he didn't. It was the devil. And it's written that Satan and God had a conversation. Now, Satan had accused Job of only trusting in God because his because of his wealth and the, the good living situation Job was in. So he proposed he proposed a test. God granted Satan the right to attack Job taking away his wealth and his children and ultimately his health, not his life. Now, without God's permission is what you need to focus on. Satan could not have done anything to Job. Satan is powerless without God's permission. And all the destruction you see Satan wreaking on this, on this planet is because he has permission to do it. People are turning their backs on God. People have turned away from God, but God promises to secure and protect his people. Uh-huh. So you might say, why does God allow Satan to exist at all? Now we have the answer in Exodus chapter nine, verse 16. And as quoted by Paul in Romans nine, chapter 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose and Pharaoh representing Satan. Okay. Pharaoh was a representation of Satan. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter nine, verse 17, once again, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. My Lord. My Lord, now let's look at how Jesus is our Passover lamb. Go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, and I will be reading verses 21 through 23. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top 
and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on, on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike, strike you down. My Lord, my Lord, did you just, re did you hear this? This is how the blood of Jesus protects us. The destroyer cannot take our lives because we are covered in the blood of Jesus. Now, Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh time and time again. Each time they displayed the awesome power of God to perform miracles. Each time God slugged away at Pharaoh and the Egyptians with all sorts of plagues. And, and that devil Pharaoh never budged. Almost every time Pharaoh would agree to let the Israelites leave Egypt only to go back on his word, just like Satan does and keep them in slavery. He didn't want to up them slaves. Okay. Now, finally, God planned one last plague, the plague on the firstborn. Okay. The Israelites were warned that on a certain evening, the, the 10th day of the first month, the Lord will pass over the land of Egypt, slaying the firstborn of both men and animals in every home. Okay. Now in order for their homes to be spared, they were to sacrifice a lamb, taking some of its blood and smearing it on the sides and top of the door frames of their homes. The lamb was then to be eaten in haste by the family. God ordered that the Passover feast was to be commemorated continually by the Israelites. Did you hear what I just said? He ordered that the Passover feast was to be commemorated continually by the Israelites after they entered the promised land. That's not for us to do continually. That's for the Israelites. Okay. <laughs> My God, I don't know how clear the Bible have to be for some of y'all to just get it, but people are, are practicing these things, these rituals today, as if it's for us, it's not for us. We're not Israelites. Now we've already seen a sheep sacrificed in chapter 12, where Abraham took his son, Isaac to Mount Moriah. Here, another lamb is sacrificed in protection of God's people. All who faithfully carried out the Lord's command to slaughter a lamb and place its blood on the door frames of their homes would be spared from disaster. Okay. Now the scripture then says in Exodus 12, chapter 29, it says this at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoners who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of the livestock as well. Now the last supper, as it has come uh, or has become known to us where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples was a Passover feast. Now these words are from John chapter 13, verse one. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the father. It is no coincidence that our Lord Jesus was slain on the eve of the Passover. For as Paul says in first Corinthians chapter five, verse seven, Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Now the blood of the lamb in Egypt was to be placed on the um, horizontal and vertical wooden frames of the doorpost. 
Now, in like manner, Jesus's blood was smeared from his mutilated body on the horizontal and vertical members of the cross. The original Passover was a time of judgment. All those who put their trust in God's word were spared and those who did not suffer the consequences, just like today. It is the same at the cross of Christ. The cross is the focal point of all history written in this Bible. For on it are the sheep separated from the goats, the regenerate from the reprobates. Reprobate just simply means um, rejected from God. Okay. Matthew chapter 25, verse 32. Now on the cross, the fullness of human depravity echoed the depravity of Pharaoh. Yet the grace of God was shown as never before. Earlier at that Passover feast in the upper room in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 28, it's Jesus says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it, offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now we must not be ignorant of these things, saints. The problem is most people today don't have a clue what the Bible say. And if they try to read it, they don't understand it. They don't understand it. I had somebody, I'm going to leave that alone today. I don't know who they listening to, what they listening to, but they are literally losing their minds after Hurricane Ida. And claim to be a Christian. Yeah. But you can't be a Christian. Listen to Satan. Trust in what he says. And then you say you're a Christian and you follow in Christ. You can't do both. You can't do it. You can't do it. Now we must not be ignorant of these things. Saints Paul says in Acts chapter 17 and 30. In the past God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Everybody to repent of their idol gods, including Muslims. Worshiping idol gods, God used to ignore it back in the day because he knew his son was coming to die for the sins of the world. Now we don't have no excuse. God is requesting, and you need to write Acts 17 verse 30 down. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And this means repent of your idol God, your idol worship, and worship the true and living God, a God full of grace and mercy. Uh-huh, because a time is coming, saints. It's going to be too late. You're going to be calling on the Lord and he ain't going to be there for you. Now is the time. I'm telling you. Now, have you trusted the true Passover lamb? Have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you? Because tomorrow is not promised to you. Salvation is today. Now, let's um, look at how Jesus called out of Egypt, okay? He was called out of Egypt. So we're still in Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 40 and 42. Well, verses 40 through 42. So that's 40, 41, and 42. Now, the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. 
on this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the, for the generations to come. The Israelites are to honor the Lord for the generations to come. Okay. Now, previously in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, or either foreigners in a country, not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, but I will punish the nation. They serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Now, this is exactly what had happened. The Egyptians were so anxious to see the Israelites leave Egypt that they gave them articles of silver and gold and clothing. That's in Exodus chapter 12, verse 35 and 36. They plundered the Egyptians. They robbed them. They took all their goods. All they good. That was reparation for enslaving them for 430 years. Now the Israelites exodus from Egypt is one of the most amazing events in the history of the world. Now, many who study Egyptology doubt its truth. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have some doubters. Inasmuch as nothing has been found in the ancient Egypt hieroglyphics to support its truth. Now, we can understand that as history has often been distorted by those with something to hide. Now, this awesome defeat of their king and, and their idol gods was nothing to be proud of indeed. It was something to forget. Now, one of the reasons to trust the Bible is that it gives us the true story in redemptive history. Warts and all. Now, it pulls no punches. By his mighty hand, God led the people out of Egypt toward the promised land. He divided the water of the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land. That's in Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. Now, a verse in Hosea chapter 11, verse one speaks of God's call to come out of Egypt. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. That verse in the Old Testament written many hundreds of years later speaks to three important events in human history. Number one, of course, is as it looks backward to remember the escape of the Israelites from the clutches of Pharaoh. Number two, a historical event of which Hosea chapter 11 verse one prophesies is that of Jesus who too was called out of Egypt. It was the call to Joseph in Matthew chapter two to take the baby Jesus into Egypt to escape the clutches of the evil Herod. Then when Herod died, Jesus and his little family was called out of Egypt. The word of God says in Matthew chapter two, verses 14 and 15 says this. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Hallelujah. Out of Egypt, I called my son. The prophet Hosea prophesied about Jesus being called out of Egypt. Now, someone asks, where do we read of the, of the third event in history where the verse in Hosea is fulfilled? Okay, you ready? Actually, the third event 
has occurred not once, but millions of times in redemptive history. It occurs each time another man, woman, or child is effectually called to follow Christ. Egypt is a picture of this world and its evil ways. God in his great love for us, while we were still sinners, calls us out of Egypt to himself. Romans 5, 8. We who were in the clutches of Satan, of whom Pharaoh and Herod speak, are by God's grace and power brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Romans 8, 21. Please read these scriptures I'm calling out. An interesting side note to call to the Israelites to come out of Egypt is found in Psalms 105, 37. God brought out Israel laden with silver and gold and from among their tribes, no one faltered. Not only did the Israelites plunder the Egyptians as God had promised in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 14, but not one was sickly or infirm in any way. The King James version says this. I like this version. There was not one feeble person among their tribes. They were in good shape for the journey. Now, so too are we who have come out of Egypt in good shape for the journey as we are fed and led by God's spirit. My Lord, my Lord, saints, I think I am going to stop right here. I know you got a taste of the picture that's coming. We are going deeper and deeper. We found in, in uh, episode six that it was Jesus talking to Moses in the burning bush. Jesus is the great I am. Jesus, when he came to earth in the flesh, he was God, 100% God in spirit. And he put on 100% flesh from man, from, from Mary, his mother. So he understand what we go through, but Jesus never faltered. Now he never been. He kept his relationship with God, the father. And that's what we will, we are supposed to do. Now, for those of you who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, come on, come on. You need to do it today. Tomorrow is not promised to you. You can go to Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 11, but I will only share verses 9 and 10. This is the altar call. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, meaning that, you know, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what makes him Lord. And that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning you know that Jesus is seated right now at God's right hand. That means you know God raised him from the dead and placed him at his right hand. You are saved. Hallelujah. You don't have to jump through no hips, flip backwards 12 times, burn some candles, confess some sins to a man sitting behind a curtain who's a sinner just like you. A sinner can't save a sinner. Jesus is not a sinner, was never a sinner. He never sinned, even though he was tempted just as we are today. But he never, ever wavered because he was on a mission. And saints, I'm here to tell you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I am here to tell you that's all you need to do. Now, you need to follow Jesus to be obedient in water baptism, representing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When you come up, you should come up in new life, in newness of life, because those who are in Christ are new creatures. Uh-huh. You have become a new creation, and the only way you can become a new creation is to be born again of the word of God. 
You have to allow God's word to change your spirit. That's why we have a lot of sinning so-called Christians out here. They don't know the word of God. Uh-uh. You will hear people say things, they, they making it up and then they will attach it to God. But um, that has nothing to do with God. That has to do with that individual. Okay. It's impossible for you to know God without knowing his word. And I think I need to say that again. It is impossible for you to know God without knowing his word. And his word is recorded in the Holy Bible only. The Holy Bible. That's where you find and read God's will. His will is his word. So in order for you to get to know God and in order for you to be born again by the word of God, you need to, you need to hear his word. Continue to listen to learning Bible truth because you're going to hear the truth here. You will definitely hear the truth here. And you guys can stand by for my closing remarks and you will be given information on how you can contact me. You can email me with any questions you may have. And trust me, episode seven will be just as groundbreaking as episode six. Jesus was in the burning bush talking to Moses all those hundreds of years prior before he came to earth in the flesh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What are we doing, saints? Searching the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but it is they who testify of me. We just testified that Jesus was the great I am in the burning bush talking to Moses. Hallelujah. We can end the series here. <laughs> but I'm not. I enjoy teaching a little bit too much. Hallelujah. To God be all the glory. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you and you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God. Please continue to grow in his word because without faith, it is impossible to please God for he that comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder, not a punisher, a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. So until next time, saints, Peace out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamla D. Forgive me, I'm trying to get situated as I speak to you guys. Um, um, welcome back. Welcome back. We have been through <laughs> uh, literally uh, a storm. Uh, Hurricane Ida hit the uh, Louisiana East Coast. I am happy to say, proud to say, to God be all the glory. I'm okay. My family is okay. My friends are okay. I've, I have some friends who sustained some damage to their homes, but it, nothing that can't be repaired. And um, they are physically okay. I praise God. To God be the glory. It was a category four. I have been through approximately eight hurricanes, and this was by far the worst. But I never doubted that I would be okay. I have insurance, so if I had lost anything, it can be replaced. I'm not, you know, um, addicted to anything that I have. I don't worship things. And um, fortunately, God spared my family and my friends, and, and we are truly grateful. I know I am. To God be the glory. Now, we, just like I promised are entering episode six of this 36, maybe 46 week series entitled Search the Scriptures. In them, they will lead you to Jesus. Now the foundational scripture, which I will not read, is found in John chapter five, verse um, 39 and 40. You can read that later if you want. But we are moving out of Genesis 
In the past four or previous episodes, we covered Jesus in Genesis. So now we are moving over to the book of Exodus. And I promise you this episode, episode six, will be lingering in your mind for a long time. We are going even more in depth where you will clearly see Jesus as God in the book of Exodus. So I will continue to read from the New International Version, NIV. If I choose to um, switch versions of the Bible, I'll let you know. So with that said, let's get this truth on the road. Go to Exodus chapter 1. We are going to read verse 22 and then move to chapter 2 and I will read verse 3. Okay. So Exodus chapter 1 verse 22 I am reading. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile but let every girl live. Now you can go on over to chapter two, verse three. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, meaning he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket. Now, papyrus basket, in your version, it may have what it actually is, but in the NIV, let me explain. It was material made like thick paper. That's what they used back in the ancient days. Um, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Now y'all should know who we are getting ready to talk about. Now remember, I said this before, let me say it again. We now are leaving the book of Genesis and we have moved over to the book of Exodus, okay? Now the Israelites have been or had been in Egypt for over 400 years. They had been reduced to slavery just as God had earlier told Abraham in Genesis 15, 13, and 14. Now, I may be referring to some scriptures that we read in Genesis, which is okay, like this one. Um, and I think it bears reading again. Genesis 15, 13, and 14, this is God talking to Abraham about his descendants being in a foreign country and will be enslaved. But listen, let me read this quote, and this is from the NIV again. Now for certain that your descendants, this is God talking to Abraham, will be strangers in a country not their own, or your version may say, may be foreigners in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But listen to this, verse 14, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Now, that great possessions is reparation. Now, um, the United States not paying reparation to people of color is going to be the downfall of America. America's sin is slavery. And they have not repented of that sin. They have not paid people of color reparation. Now, I have a series coming up after this 
36-46 week series. And I will show you, even though the United States was not in the biblical days, I will show you the United States and what the Bible says about the United States today. And the United States, I don't want to scare anybody, but the truth is the truth. The Bible hasn't failed yet. The United States is going to fall and it's going to fall hard. Okay, now enough of that. Now I want you to remember Pharaoh, he worried that the Israel Israelite slaves would become too many. And he thought that they would overwhelm his kingdom because according to Exodus chapter one, verse seven, the Israelites were fruitful and they were multiplying greatly every day so that the land was filled with a lot of Israelites. So Pharaoh therefore undertook a deliberate massacre. Yes, he did. He was a monster and he aimed at reducing their number, the number of the Israelites. Now, it was the first in a line of many campaigns the Jews had suffered throughout history, and they continue to suffer. Now, Pharaoh ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill any male children, but allowed the girls to live. Now, that didn't work. So he then ordered that all male children be thrown into the Nile River to drown. Now, Moses was a child that was one of them who was ordered to be thrown into the Nile. He was ordered to be murdered. Now, later, we will see Moses as a type of Christ in other respects. But here we see him portraying the baby Jesus, even in his infancy. Now, in order to save Moses, his parents constructed a little ark. It was a boat of reeds and tar and launched him onto the Nile. Now, this little boat is also a picture of the Lord Jesus. You know, remember I talked about the ark being a covering, a, a, a protection for uh, God's people. And it was also a uh, deliverance. And that was in chapter seven of Genesis. Now, when Jesus was born, a king, not Pharaoh reigned, but his worries were similar, just like Pharaoh's. Herod was his name. Now, Herod learned from a group of wise men from the east that a new king had been born in Judea. Now, Herod worried about a usurper to his throne. Now, I chose to use that word to sum it up. But for those of you who don't know what a usurper is, it's uh, um, someone uh, or a uh, sect overthrowing, illegally overthrowing the kingdom or the throne of a king. Okay. Now, after Herod learned from his chief priests and teachers of the law that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem because the teachers of the law knew about the coming of the Messiah, the baby Jesus. Now, Herod said to his wise men, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I, too, may go and worship him. Now, that's in Matthew 2 and 8. Now, you know, Herod was lying. Now, so... After the wise men were warned not to return to Herod and the despot realized he had been outwitted, he began to slaughter all the male children, two years old and younger, around Bethlehem. He was trying to get to the baby Jesus. Now, the prophet Jeremiah had foreseen this event back in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. And it's also quoted in Matthew 2:18. Matthew 2.18 says this, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, 
Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now Joseph was forewarned by an angel of the Lord to flee to Egypt with Mary and the child. Now he said in Matthew 2.13, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. It's amazing how Egypt was a place of refuge <laughs> and Egypt, the Egyptians were black people. Okay. Uh, let me continue in verse 13, chapter two of Matthew. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Isn't it something how God knows how to protect his own? Okay. Now they stayed there until Herod died and an angel told them it was safe to return. So Joseph and Mary settled in Nazareth in the district of Galilee. Now Moses would grow up to be the most revered leader of the nation of Israel. Even today, if, if a Jew is asked who was the greatest of his people, chances are that they will say Moses. Now the author of Hebrews in the New Testament says this about Moses in Hebrews chapter three, verses four through six. He says this. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Now, this scripture is confirming that Jesus is greater than Moses. That's what that scripture is, is, is referring to. Now, I want you to go to Exodus chapter 3, and we are going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to um, read the verses 13 and 14. Okay, now this Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Herob, or Herob, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now you guys get ready. Just brace yourselves. Oh my God, we are about to receive some revelation here. Let me continue. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. It's holy ground because God was there. Okay. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is the name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, my Lord, my Lord. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now we saw a theophany right here. Now 
Back in chapter 9, where God appeared as a smoking fire pot and a burning torch, here God comes face to face with Moses, speaking to the frightened Israelite from a burning bush that is not consumed. Moses asked God his name. God answers, I am who I am, or I am that I am, depending on which version of the Bible you have. Now the words I am here, the acronyms for Jehovah is YHWH. Now in the original Hebrew language in which most of the Old Testament is written, we would say this word Yahweh. Now in a very guttural way, like Yahweh. Now, or more likely Jehovah. Okay. Jews might render Yahweh as Adonai because they have been forbidden to voice the original pronunciation since about the third century BC. Now, what does this I am mean now? And, and, and let me say, and how does it link to Jesus? Now, God is saying that he is the preexistent creator of the universe. That is what he is saying with no beginning and no end. Now, in order to see how the name links to Jesus, let's turn our attention to a conversation Jesus had with the Pharisees and teachers of the law that centered on Abraham. Okay. I want you to go to John chapter eight, and I'm going to read verses 51 through 59. You can pause the tape, but for the sake of time, I'm going to resume. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed. Now we know that you are a demon possessed, that you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. So what, the, what they are saying is that Abraham died and so did all the prophets. So who are you not to die? This is what they are saying. So Jesus said this. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, you are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you say you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Did you hear the answer that Jesus gave? Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus was saying he was the creator of the heavens and the earth. That same spirit, that same fire that talked to Moses from the burning bush was Jesus. This is why the scriptures need to be rightly divided. Okay. Jesus was definitely God in the flesh. He was talking to Moses from that burning bush. Jesus said before Abraham was born, I am. My Lord. Oh, I get excited. I get excited, especially when you know you have revelation of the scriptures. Now, let me finish. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away. Now, let, I wasn't going to add this to um, this episode, but it, it fits right here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I want you to pay attention to Jesus hid himself and slipped away. With, they could not touch Jesus until he was ready to go to Calvary. This is not the only scripture in the New Testament where they tried to get Jesus, tried to pick up stones to stone him, but they couldn't. He just disappeared in their midst. Only God can do that. Jesus was not a magician. Trust me. Okay.
Now the I am Jesus uses here was literally Jehovah or Yahweh. Now Jesus is making a direct claim upon eternal preexistence, the claim to be God. Now notice that the Jews immediately took up stones to stone him, which was the method of execution prescribed for blasphemy in Israel. Now there's no question in their minds that Jesus was using the divine name. Jesus claimed to be the great I am of the burning bush. Now we could go on for, for decades about this. Instead, let's look at some other I am statements of our Lord and emphasis is always on mine. Now I'm the one placing the emphasis, but let's look at some other I am's that Jesus said. John six thirty five. Then Jesus claimed, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. John 8, 12. You can write all this down because I'm about to zoom through here. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 7, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. John 10 and 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. John 14, 6, which is my all time favorite scripture. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. John 15, one, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the garden. Now, some have falsely stated that Jesus never really claimed to be God. <laughs> That's because they don't know these scriptures. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Pharisees and teachers of the law knew precisely what he was claiming to be or who Jesus was claiming to be. Now, go to Exodus chapter five. We're going to uh, review Jesus in Exodus chapters five through chapter 11. Okay. Um, now let's look at Exodus chapter five, verses one and two. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went, went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And a lot of people don't know the Lord. We have a lot of Pharaohs running around faking like they're Christians. But as soon as destruction happens, you will find out who Christians are not. Because if you don't have faith, see, real Christians don't panic when something happens. I had to drink some water. Uh-uh. Real Christians do not panic, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't panic. Now, that's a whole nother story, but it fits right here. I'm, I'm, I may read that just before the end of this series. Now, the fallen angel Satan appears in the Holy Scriptures in the Garden of Eden with the first couple, Adam and Eve. Now, like Jesus, pictures of Satan regularly occurs in the Bible. Nimrod. In Genesis 10, chapter 8, is one of uh, Satan's people. Now, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is another. Now, Egypt is a picture of the world system. And just as Pharaoh is ruler of Egypt, Satan is the ruler of this world system. 
You can read 2 Corinthians 4, 4, for instance. Now, he is the God with a little g of this world in these verses. Satan is not the God of all the ages. He is the God of this world. Okay, he's not the creator of this world. That's why this world sees so much destruction because Satan is in charge. But God has an ark around his people. That's why we are still standing when the smoke clears. Now, Moses and Aaron have been commissioned by God, who we've just seen is Jesus in the burning bush. We're talking about finding Jesus in the Old Testament, in the scriptures. Didn't Jesus say, search the scriptures? In them, you think you have eternal life, but it is them, them what? The scriptures who testify of me. Now, We've just seen Jesus in the burning bush to present themselves to Pharaoh and tell him to let Israelites leave Egypt. Jesus was telling Moses to go and tell Pharaoh to let his people leave Egypt. Okay. Now God says of Pharaoh in Exodus chapter nine, verse 16, God says this, I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now it is the same with Satan. God allows him to roam because it serves God's purpose in his self revelation. Now the book of revelation in the new Testament speaks of our Lord conquering Satan by throwing him into the lake of, of fire and brimstone. That's in revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And a lot of people going to follow Satan right there. In a lake of fire and brimstone, those are who are outside of Christ. Now, it is interesting that God also throws Pharaoh into a lake to die as well. The Red Sea. In fact, many similarities exist between these chapters in Exodus and Revelation. Now, as you may recall, the 11 plagues that God brings upon Pharaoh and his people in Exodus are the plagues of snakes, water into blood, frogs. I'll be hauling tail because I'm scared of frogs. Gnats, flies, you know, against livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally the depths of Egypt's firstborn. Now, similarly, in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, to be exact, they appear again. Like Moses and Aaron, two witnesses are, pro are promised who will have the power to work miracles in God's name. That's in Revelation chapter 11, verses 3 through 6. The beast is also able to work signs and wonders. Uh-huh. That's how Satan can fool a lot of y'all because he's able to work signs and wonders too. And once again, water is turned into blood in chapters 8, verse 8, and chapter 16, verses 4 through 5. Now, frogs conjured up by the satanic forces Re reappear in chapter 16, verse 13. Another plague of locusts appears in chapter 9, verses 2 and 11. Balls, boils from God afflict those who oppose him in chapter 16, verse 2. Now, hailstones hit the earth once again in chapter 8, verse 7. Now, a terrible darkness shall descend upon the earth during those days, chapter 16, verse 10. The wicked will harden their hearts like they are doing right now. They are hardening their hearts against the true and living God, just like Pharaoh did in chapter 9, verse 20 and 21. Death will reign on the earth, chapter 9, verse 15. It is in, I don't think it's a coincidence that John's vision 
is so much like the history of Israel's journey. I just don't think it is. It's not a coincidence. Like the Israelites who were delivered from Pharaoh's clutches in Exodus, all of God's saints will be delivered from the clutches of Satan. All of God's saints. You know, I often tell people everyone is not a child of God. Now, everyone may be the creation of God, but everyone doesn't belong to God. We, you have to go through the adoption agency of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, like Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, Paul says this. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. Now, the church, of course, is the true Israel, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, in 1 John 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, some people are eager to attribute Satan with too much power. Now, many believe that he's a match for God. Ain't no match. Ain't no, that, Satan ain't no match for God. But the Bible is clear that God controls Satan's every move and uses him for his own purposes. As we've said uh, uh, before that I said previously, nowhere in scripture is this more clearly, clearly seen than in the book of Job. In chapters one and two of that book, we have a conversation that took place between God and Satan. And a lot of people can read this and still say that God made Job suffer. No, he didn't. It was the devil. And it's written that Satan and God had a conversation. Now, Satan had accused Job of only trusting in God because his because of his wealth and the, the good living situation Job was in. So he proposed, he proposed a test. God granted Satan the right to attack Job, taking away his wealth and his children and ultimately his health, not his life. Now, without God's permission is what you need to focus on. Satan could not have done anything to Job. Satan is powerless without God's permission and all the destruction you see Satan wreaking on this, on this planet is because he has permission to do it. People are turning their backs on God. People have turned away from God, but God promises to secure and protect his people. Uh-huh. So you might say, why does God allow Satan to exist at all? Now we have the answer in Exodus chapter nine, verse 16. And as quoted by Paul in Romans nine, chapter 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose and Pharaoh representing Satan. Okay. Pharaoh was a representation of Satan. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter nine, verse 17, once again, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. My Lord. My Lord, now let's look at how Jesus is our Passover lamb. Go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, and I will be reading verses 21 through 23. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into blood in the basin, 
and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on, on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike, strike you down. My Lord, my Lord, did you just, re did you hear this? This is how the blood of Jesus protects us. The destroyer cannot take our lives because we are covered in the blood of Jesus. Now, Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh time and time again. Each time they displayed the awesome power of God to perform miracles. Each time God slugged away at Pharaoh and the Egyptians with all sorts of plagues. And, and that devil Pharaoh never budged. Almost every time Pharaoh would agree to let the Israelites leave Egypt, only to go back on his word, just like Satan does, and keep them in slavery. He didn't want to up them slaves. Okay, now finally, God planned one last plague, the plague on the firstborn. Okay, the Israelites were warned that on a certain evening, the, the 10th day of the first month, the Lord will pass over the land of Egypt, slaying the firstborn of both men and animals in every home. Okay. Now in order for their homes to be spared, they were to sacrifice a lamb, taking some of its blood and smearing it on the sides and top of the door frames of their homes. The lamb was then to be eaten in haste by the family. God ordered that the Passover feast was to be commemorated continually by the Israelites. Did you hear what I just said? He ordered that the Passover feast was to be commemorated continually by the Israelites after they entered the promised land. That's not for us to do continually. That's for the Israelites. Okay. <laughs> My God, I don't know how clear the Bible have to be for some of y'all to just uh, get it, but people are, are practicing these things, these rituals today, as if it's for us. It's not for us. We're not Israelites. Now we've already seen a sheep sacrificed in chapter 12 where Abraham took his son Isaac to Mount Moriah. Here, another lamb is sacrificed in protection of God's people. All who faithfully carried out the Lord's command to slaughter a lamb and place its blood on the door frames of their homes would be spared from disaster. Okay. Now the scripture then says in Exodus 12, chapter 29, it says this at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoners who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of the livestock as well. Now, the Last Supper, as it has come uh, or has become known to us, where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples was a Passover feast. Now, these words are from John chapter 13, verse one. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the father. It is no coincidence that our Lord Jesus was slain on the eve of the Passover. For as Paul says in first Corinthians chapter five, verse seven, Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Now the blood of the lamb in Egypt 
was to be placed on the um, horizontal and vertical wooden frames of the doorpost. Now, in like manner, Jesus's blood was smeared from his mutilated body on the horizontal and vertical members of the cross. The original Passover was a time of judgment. All those who put their trust in God's word were spared and those who did not suffer the consequences, just like today. It is the same at the cross of Christ. The cross is the focal point of all history written in this Bible. For on it are the sheep separated from the goats, the regenerate from the reprobates. Reprobate just simply means um, rejected from God. Okay. Matthew chapter 25 verse 32. Now on the cross, the fullness of human depravity echoed the depravity of Pharaoh. Yet the grace of God was shown as never before. Earlier at that Passover feast in the upper room in Matthew chapter 26 verses 26 through 28, it's Jesus says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it, offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now we must not be ignorant of these things, saints. The problem is most people today don't have a clue what the Bible say. And if they try to read it, they don't understand it. They don't understand it. I had somebody, I'm going to leave that alone today. I don't know who they listening to, what they listening to, but they are literally losing their minds after Hurricane Ida and claim to be a Christian. Yeah, but you can't be a Christian, listen to Satan, trust in what he says, and then you say you're a Christian and you follow in Christ. You can't do both. You can't do it. You can't do it. Now, we must not be ignorant of these things, saints. Paul says in Acts chapter 17 and 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, everybody to repent of their idol gods, including Muslims. Worshiping idol gods, God used to ignore it back in the day because he knew his son was coming to die for the sins of the world. Now we don't have no excuse. God is requesting, and you need to write Acts 17 verse 30 down. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And this means repent of your idol God, your idol worship, and worship the true and living God, a God full of grace and mercy. Uh-huh, because a time is coming, saints. It's going to be too late. You're going to be calling on the Lord and he ain't going to be there for you. Now is the time. I'm telling you. Now, have you trusted the true Passover lamb? Have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you? Because tomorrow is not promised to you. Salvation is today. Now, let's um, look at how Jesus called out of Egypt. Okay. He was called out of Egypt. So we're still in Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 40 and 42. Well, verses 40 through 42. So that's 40, 41 and 42. Now, the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. 
because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the, for the generations to come. The Israelites are to honor the Lord for the generations to come. Okay. Now, previously in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, or either foreigners in a country, not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, but I will punish the nation. They serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Now, this is exactly what had happened. The Egyptians were so anxious to see the Israelites leave Egypt that they gave them articles of silver and gold and clothing. That's in Exodus chapter 12, verse 35 and 36. They plundered the Egyptians. They robbed them. They took all their goods. All they got, that was reparation for enslaving them for 430 years. Now the Israelites exodus from Egypt is one of the most amazing events in the history of the world. Now, many who study Egyptology doubt its truth. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have some doubters. Inasmuch as nothing has been found in the ancient Egypt hieroglyphics to support its truth. Now we can understand that. As history has often been distorted by those with something to hide. Now this awesome defeat of their king and, and their idol gods was nothing to be proud of indeed. It was something to forget. Now one of the reasons to trust the Bible is that it gives us the true story in redemptive history. Warts and all. Now it pulls no punches. By his mighty hand, God led the people out of Egypt toward the promised land. He divided the water of the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land. That's in Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. Now a verse in Hosea chapter 11, verse one speaks of God's call to come out of Egypt. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. That verse in the Old Testament written many hundreds of years later speaks to three important events in human history. Number one, of course, is as it looks backward to remember the escape of the Israelites from the clutches of Pharaoh. Number two, a historical event of which Hosea chapter 11 verse one prophesies is that of Jesus who too was called out of Egypt. It was the call to Joseph in Matthew chapter two to take the baby Jesus into Egypt to escape the clutches of the evil Herod. Then when Herod died, Jesus and his little family was called out of Egypt. The word of God says in Matthew chapter two, verses 14 and 15 says this. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Hallelujah. Out of Egypt, I called my son. The prophet Hosea prophesied about Jesus being called out of Egypt. Now someone asks, where do we read of the, of the third event in history where the verse in Hosea is fulfilled? Okay, you ready? Actually, the third event is 
has occurred not once, but millions of times in redemptive history. It occurs each time another man, woman, or child is effectually called to follow Christ. Egypt is a picture of this world and its evil ways. God, in his great love for us, while we were still sinners, calls us out of Egypt to himself, Romans 5, 8. We who were in the clutches of Satan, of whom Pharaoh and Herod speak, are by God's grace and power brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Romans 8, 21. Please read these scriptures I'm calling out. An interesting side note to call to the Israelites to come out of Egypt is found in Psalms 105, 37. God brought out Israel laden with silver and gold and from among their tribes, no one faltered. Not only did the Israelites plunder the Egyptians as God had promised in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 14, but not one was sickly or infirm in any way. The King James version says this. I like this version. There was not one feeble person among their tribes. They were in good shape for the journey. Now, so too are we who have come out of Egypt in good shape for the journey as we are fed and led by God's spirit. My Lord, my Lord, saints, I think I am going to stop right here. I know you got a taste of the picture that's coming. We are going deeper and deeper. We found in, in uh, episode six that it was Jesus talking to Moses in the burning bush. Jesus is the great I am. Jesus, when he came to earth in the flesh, he was God, 100% God and spirit. And he put on 100% flesh from man, from, from Mary, his mother. So he understand what we go through, but Jesus never faltered. Now he never been. He kept his relationship with God, the father. And that's what we will, we are supposed to do. Now, for those of you who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, come on, come on. You need to do it today. Tomorrow is not promised to you. You can go to Romans chapter 10 verses nine through 11, but I will only share verses nine and 10. This is the altar call. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, meaning that, you know, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what makes him Lord. And that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning you know that Jesus is seated right now at God's right hand. That means you know God raised him from the dead and placed him at his right hand. You are saved. Hallelujah. You don't have to jump through no hips, flip backwards 12 times, burn some candles, confess some sins to a man sitting behind a curtain who's a sinner just like you. A sinner can't save a sinner. Jesus is not a sinner, was never a sinner. He never sinned, even though he was tempted just as we are today. But he never, ever wavered because he was on a mission. And saints, I'm here to tell you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I am here to tell you that's all you need to do. Now, you need to follow Jesus to be obedient in water baptism, representing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When you come up, you should come up in new life, in newness of life, because those who are in Christ are new creatures. Uh-huh. You have become a new creation, and the only way you can become a new creation is to be born again of the Word of God. 
you have to allow God's word to change your spirit. That's why we have a lot of sinning so-called Christians out here. They don't know the word of God. Uh-uh. You will hear people say things, they, they making it up and then they will attach it to God. But um, that has nothing to do with God. That has to do with that individual. Okay. It's impossible for you to know God without knowing his word. And I think I need to say that again. It is impossible for you to know God without knowing his word. And his word is recorded in the Holy Bible only. The Holy Bible. That's where you find and read God's will. His will is his word. So in order for you to get to know God and in order for you to be born again by the word of God, you need to, you need to hear his word. Continue to listen to learning Bible truth because you're going to hear the truth here. You will definitely hear the truth here. And you guys can stand by for my closing remarks and you will be given information on how you can contact me. You can email me with any questions you may have. And trust me, episode seven will be just as groundbreaking as episode six. Jesus was in the burning bush talking to Moses all those hundreds of years prior before he came to earth in the flesh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What are we doing, saints? Searching the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but it is they who testify of me. We just testified that Jesus was the great I am in the burning bush talking to Moses. Hallelujah. We can end the series here. (laughs) but I'm not. I enjoy teaching a little bit too much. Hallelujah. To God be all the glory. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you and you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God. Please continue to grow in his word because without faith, it is impossible to please God for he that comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder, not a punisher, a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. So until next time, saints, Peace out. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible, not just one scripture full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to his son, Jesus the Christ. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible. Not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, 
I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to his son, Jesus the Christ. I answer.